you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller. This is the show where each week we take 48 minutes and unravel all of life's mysteries. Well, no, it's not quite that grandiose. I can't take credit for that, believe me. But we, we jump into some of the issues that challenge all of us, especially as it relates to our work. Well, one of our sponsors for today is Audible Podcast. You hear me talk about them and you know why. It's because I think the content of books can dramatically change your level of success as it has mine. There's nothing that I attribute my path to more than having read great books over the years. So anyway, audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. That's the place to go. You'll get a free book there. If you're not yet a member, I'll tell you which one I'm going to recommend for this week here in a little bit. It's an audible podcast. They've got tons and tons of great content in an audible fashion. So you can listen to it while you're driving down the road, going on vacation, going to work, whatever it is. If you're working out, if you're an audible learner, that's a great way to access the material. You know, I got a note this week from somebody about the cruise that they went on with us last year. Let's see, we didn't do a group cruise this year. We did one last year. We'll do one next year. Got one coming up in, in February of 2015 called The Ultimate Advantage. You can go there to our 48days.com site. You'll see the big ship there. Just click on that for all the details. Got lots of people who have already registered, uh, including uh, Mike Nelson and his bride, who will be with us again. But got a note from Mike said, this cruise changed the course of our life. Since attending, we have doubled our income, pivoted to more meaningful work, and most importantly, found ways to spend more time together as a family. Well, thanks for that, Mike. Look forward to seeing you guys again in February. Got a note from Steve Barkley as well, which was interesting. He says, after listening to you talk about the cruise in the podcast, I asked my wife if she would be interested in going on the 48 days cruise. She responded, a 48 day cruise? Yes. Maybe I should have worded the question a bit differently. <laughs> well, it's not for 48 days days you know i got to be careful with how we promote that uh, that would be that would be a real experience wouldn't it a month and a half on a cruise i don't think even i could handle that but it's not 48 days it's seven but it's the ultimate advantage go to 48days.com get all the details there we'd love to see you there you know as i mentioned you know cruises are primarily for the experience of cruising for the relaxing enjoying experience that they are joanna and i have loved them for years I've gone on lots of them, and uh, every once in a while, we just kind of say, hey, if you want to go with us, this is what it's all about. So it's it's not a big deal for us in that um, it's certainly not a big moneymaker, but it's it's just something where we open the doors and say, if you want to go along, we'll share some time together. We do have three full days at sea, and you'll hear from some friends of ours like Rory and A.J. Vaden, Michael and Gail Hyatt, Chris and Rachel McCluskey. So we're going to have a blast and do some productive things. But the main thing is just the experience of cruising together for a week. So join us there. We'd love to see you. Well, this is episode number 235, if you're counting, June 13th episode, 2014. You know, it's amazing to me that we're almost 
halfway through this year. I mean, doesn't it seem like yesterday that we turned the clocks to 2014? I mean, it seems like a blink of an eye. Can't believe we're almost halfway finished with the entire year already. 2015 is going to be here before we can think about it. Well, bank brings up the question, you know, where are you in terms of what you thought you'd accomplish for this year? I mean, I had some pretty major initiatives. I've got two of those. The major two are really essentially completed. I'm just doing the final edits and 48 days to the work you love revision. That'll be released as the 10th anniversary edition in January. So I'm excited about that. The other major initiative this year was launching a mastermind, which has gone beautifully well, thrilled about what's happening there. Well, our theme for today is going to be the door is wide open. Here's some of the questions that we've got that we'll be covering. What would you advise someone to do within the first 48 hours to get their dream in the right direction? Great question. Somebody says, Dan, I've set a goal to contact one entrepreneur per day for a year. That'll make a difference. Do I continue to pursue my passion as a potential career or keep it as a hobby for the moment? We'll talk about how you make those decisions. Dan, why will working by the hour keep me poor? Should I focus on identifying and using my strengths or work on overcoming my weaknesses? As always, great questions. Can't wait to dig into those and more. Here's our quotation for the day. This comes from James Allen. Remember I said our theme for today is the door is wide open. James Allen said, the world steps aside for the man who knows where he is going. So there you go. If you, in fact, know where you're going, you'll find the doors open. People help you. I mean, that's the cool thing. People will help you do what you're doing. If you're clear about what you're doing, people want to hook their wagon to where you're going because people are attracted to somebody who's clear, passionate, bold, enthusiastic. Believe me, I've seen it in play time and time again. Well, here's a success story for today. This comes from Leon Gomes. I love this story. He says, Dan, I was laid off from my technology job of five years in February. I immediately purchased 48 days to the work, began sending out letters, my resume, and making calls. I called the president of the firm that manages quasi-municipal special districts. This was something that I would love doing as I serve on the board of this type of district and saw the need for it. She was excited by my call, saying that she had been waiting, wanting to open an office in my area for the past few years, but hadn't found the right person. After some discussion, the firm's president decided the timing wasn't right. So I was able to get another technology job. Now, approximately four months later, the firm's president called me to offer me the position. The next day, I was laid off from my latest technology job. Talk about timing. I'm loving it. Well, absolutely. Hey, and we love hearing about it right here because put you in that camp. And we got a whole bunch of stories that could go in there, but we're going to get quickly to some of the questions that have been submitted for this week. But hey, if you want to have your story shared here, a success that you've got, just shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com. We'll go to the 48days.com link, click on the podcast tab there, and you'll be able to submit it there and love to hear your stories. Golly, far be it from me to interrupt Freddie Mercury hanging out of that one note for such a long time. Now, there's something I want to cover just briefly here. I've been 
ask probably six times in the last month from people who say they've been selected to host a radio show. What do I think? And let me just comment on this a little bit. There, there's a lot of airtime out there. There's no question about that. A lot of airtime out there. Terrestrial radio, that means traditional radio, where you dial it up in your car. Now, that's changing as well. You can, there are cars that are coming out that are Stitcher equipped, where you can listen to this podcast in your brand new Mercedes as you drive out of the showroom. I think that is beyond cool. That is so awesome. But let's just refer to traditional radio for a little bit. Traditional radio has inventory that they need to sell. Now, here's how that works out. In, a, in an hour, in a typical hour on commercial radio, there are 12 minutes of ads and commercials. That's how they make their money. So the content hopefully draws an audience, but the way the station makes the money is by selling those. Actually, there are usually four of those 12 minutes are, are news and station breaks. So we usually have eight minutes of commercial time in an hour of radio that you hear traditional radio. They sell that time. So if they sell that time for $50 a minute, let's say that's $400. So that means they're going to generate $400 of revenue for that hour. That's what they care about. You could, if you want to have, let's say that you live in Pittsburgh and you want to be on a radio station on Saturday morning, you want two hours now, usually the spots on a regular station are not going to be that expensive. Frankly, they're not going to be $50 an hour. Let's say they're $20 an hour. So with that, if you have eight, that's $160. So for two hours, they're going to generate $320 in ad revenue. If you want to own that time, you can give them $320 every Saturday and own that time. What that means is that then you control those ad spots if you want to do it like traditional radio so you can sell those 16 ad spots if you sell those for forty dollars you're going to make 320 dollars not only will you have two hours of your own commercial essentially no matter what it is you're doing your own talk radio show it's really promotion for what it is you're doing that you make money in but you could also sell those ads and make money while you're doing it so that's certainly one option now, here's the new model that's out there. Now, we know you're familiar with podcasting. Obviously, you're listening to this. Podcasting, there's no cost. You can get it up on iTunes, Stitcher, Zoom, and all those other cool places where people can find it, post it on your own site if you want to have the bandwidth. So there's a lot of ways you can get it out there with really no cost. But here's the hybrid. This is a new model that we're seeing pop up a lot. We're seeing people that are creating online radio stations they then need to fill the time. So they have 24 hours a day. They need to fill that time. So they're approaching people and saying, we have selected you to host a show on our station. Now, doesn't that sound like a warm, fuzzy compliment? You've been selected. We think you're so wonderful. Our listeners are going to love you. And we've selected you. We want to do a 13-week pilot. Make sure that everything is great. And then do a complete rollout for your show. Well, that's the pitch that a lot of people are getting from a lot of different radio shows. I won't even mention names here. You know, if you've gotten it, you, you know the ones that are familiar that 
are coming down the pike. But here's the deal. You are selected. You qualify. I had a gentleman call me just this week and we talked. He's a very experienced businessman. He said, you know, they're talking to me about the application process. I have to see if I qualify. And I said, trust me, if you write a check, you qualify. And he's like, what do you mean? We haven't talked about that. I said, you will. I mean, that's the deal. They'll tell you they want you to host a show, but you have to pay for that opportunity. And typically a 13 week pilot is going to be somewhere between five and $6,000. So be careful about letting your ego jump in the way of your brain and thinking that this is some special privilege. They're selling time on their internet show. And you can do the math on that. You start adding those up. If they're able to sell the time there, I mean, that can be a very profitable venture for somebody. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing illegal. Would just be clear about what's happening. If you are selected to host a radio show, it means they're going to try to sell you that opportunity. And the person calling you, yes, they will describe themselves as the executive producer. That's a fancy term for a salesman. That's what they're doing. I mean, a salesman is calling you. They don't have to produce anything. I mean, we know it doesn't, they don't, they don't do a, a whole lot typically. Now there's all kinds of variations out here. And if you're working with somebody that's really good, I commend you on that. Wonderful. There are other options like blog talk radio, which a lot of you are probably using, you know, great option. You just pay for the time you're allowed so many hours a week on there and you just pay for that opportunity. But it's a very minimal kind of fee. It's not put together in the same way as some of these new ones coming out. I mean, with blog talk radio, Geez, I think you can pay like 50 bucks a month and have your once a week radio show on there and you're, you're finished with that. But these, this new model coming out is, you know, they're going to produce your show and they're going to select you as the host, but there's big dollars involved and they're trying to sell it to a whole lot of people and I'm getting a lot of messages. So just be very clear on what's happening there. Now, let me give you my book recommendation for the week. Now, again, the place you go to get the Audible version is audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days. You can get a free copy. This is a book that is the newest mind-blowing book that I've run into right now. It is Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McCowan. I don't know how I didn't hear about this. I mean, it's a brand new book, but I usually hear about books when they first come out, get copies sent from the publisher or somebody wants me to review it. Anyway, this one slipped through the cracks, but it is phenomenal. Now, Gail Hyatt, Michael Hyatt's wife, is the one who recommended it to me last week. We were at an event together and our show together, and she says, you've got to make this the next book that you read. Well, I value Gail's input. I got the book, started reading it, and really had a hard time putting it down. But it's how to reduce the things that we're doing so that we have time to do the things that are really most important. Now, I, I have a pretty good system for doing this. You hear me talk about the fact that by November 15th of every year, I'm going to select the 15% of what I've been doing in that current year and eliminate it so that it opens up a new 15%. That's a system that has worked extremely well for me over 20 years to do exactly that. So I'm pretty good about 
eliminating things, deciding what is not effective, saying no to things. I'm not covered up with committee meetings and volunteer things that just suck up a lot of time. I stay pretty focused on things that I consider to be important, leaving time for you know, certainly priorities like you know family, relationships, marriage, those kind of things are very important to me. But this book really helped define how, how to make those decisions, and I think it can do the same for you. So again, the book is Essentialism by Greg McCowan. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash 48 days, boom. Just put that in, put Essentialism. I'll put a link in the broadcast notes today to help you find that. Here's a question from Barry. Who says, I heard in your last podcast about you talking about the 48 Days brand. Since it was inspired by the 48 Hours show, a question came to mind. What would you advise someone to do within the first 48 hours to get their dream in the right direction? Oh, I love that question. I need to be, I need to really create a plan on that because I, I love that tie-in with the 48 Days. Yeah, the 48 Days was kind of borrowing the popularity of 48 Hours as a TV show. And of course, there's 48 Hours as a movie, I think there's a couple movies that have been done 48 hours. So it's kind of a popular name or a number at this point, which has served me very, very well, incidentally. But here's what I would do in the first 48 hours. I would create timelines for what you're going to do in the first 48 days. So if it's getting a new job, now this is all what I would do in the first 48 hours. If it's getting a new job, I'd create a timeline for in three days to have my resume completed, six days, have a list of 30 to 40 target companies, 10 days, send out the first set of intro letters and so on. And go right through that process. If I were working on a dream, which you're asking here, Barry, in your question. So let's say that I wanted to launch a dream in the form of a new business. So in the first, I would create a timeline in those first 48 hours, I'd create a timeline so that by the end of five days, I've had to have a clear focus on a business name. 10 days, I'd have a business license. 15 days, a basic website up. 30 days open for business. That's what I do. I'd walk right through the timeline. That's what I do in the first 48 hours. Because what I find is a lot of people have dreams and they just tend to stay as those elusive wishes and hopes. Nothing happens because they never create a timeline. So I would immediately use the first 48 hours to create a timeline showing what action I'm going to take in the next whatever period of time, 48 days probably for me. Well, thanks for the question. Dave says, I wanted to say thanks for the great content. I'm not quite three months into my online business. No, I'm going to be successful because of the amazing support in the community. I've set a goal to contact one online entrepreneur per day for a year. I'm starting out at 39 years of age in this journey, and it's already changed my life. It would be amazing if you had one tip or word of advice for the relative beginner just getting going. I hope to see you soon at the next conference. Dave, here's my one tip for you, Dave. Make sure you have your business information in your email signature. Have your contact information there. I read your message a couple times. And have you talk about this new venture that you're doing. I have no idea what kind of business you have. And all you have to do is just put something, put a website, put a tag, put a slogan, do something in your email signature. I mean, what a powerful way to share the message. So I got a, a message from you and it's just simply signed day, but that would be a, a one tip that I would don't miss that opportunity. We have people who get affiliate checks from 48 days who don't have a website, who don't have a business, but they simply use an affiliate link for 48 days in the signature line of their email. 
and sending out emails. People click through, purchase things. They get an affiliate check. I mean, how cool is that? But that's very, very valuable real estate. The little space underneath your name in the signature line. So take advantage of, of that for sure. Here's an, here's an audio question left from Merle. Let's listen to this and I'll explain to you why I included it. Dan, this is Merle Miller from Missouri, the Show Me State. Hey, I appreciate your uh, internet radio show. I'd listen to one every day if you had a new one every day. But I do listen to it every week, and I'm just looking forward to uh, the answer to my question. My question for you, Dan, is I grew up Amish like you did, and I became social-reversing that so that I could be eligible for uh, some of the benefits, such as Medicare Medicaid, yeah, I would like to know your opinion on that. Is it worth it for that? Because I know I'm 34 years old, and I know when I become to the retirement age, there's not going to be it for me. But I'm just curious as what you what your take is on that as far as so. Please, if you would answer that on your uh, internet radio show, I would be really love to hear your answer to that. Well, Merrill, great question. Now, here's why I'm going to answer that. I know this doesn't relate to a whole lot of you who are probably not Amish, but in the Amish community, they don't pay Social Security, and thus they are not in the Social Security system. So when they reach 62 or 65 or retirement age, there's no Social Security payments coming in, and they are also not eligible for Medicare or the other health benefits. So your question is, would I advise trying to get into that system? Yes. But the reason I'm answering this is because there are a surprising number of people who try to opt out of that system. Now there are others, even like pastors who are not required to pay into social security. I mean, it's a complicated kind of area, but there are a lot of people who, who really are um, radicals. I'll, I'll just kind of put it in that category who look for the technicality in the law that says you really don't have to pay your taxes, income taxes. It's a volunteer kind of thing. Now, that's really not true, and I certainly don't promote that, but there are people who do that, and there are a lot of people who have essentially opted out of Social Security, but that means that then when they reach retirement age, they are not going to have those benefits in place. I think it's a foolish decision for a couple reasons. For one, the benefits, whatever you think of the healthcare system, the benefits that are available to those in Medicare, you know, I've just been through in the death of a mother-in-law, and to see what Medicare took care of in her final days was astounding. I mean, to not have that available would have been devastating to Joanne and me as you know financial caretakers for her mother for many years. So, yeah, I think it's foolish not to have that in place. But the other thing is, I think it's a foolish message to send if you choose to live in the United States of America and just choose to opt out of that part. I mean, even the Bible says, you know, render unto Caesar the taxes that are Caesar's. I think if you're going to enjoy the benefits of living in this country with all the things that it offers, that you need to be willing to step up to the plate for that part of the system as well. So now, Merle, I know in your situation, again, it's a legal option to not be part of that. But, uh, yeah, I think it's wise to go ahead and position yourself to be part of that. You enjoy the benefits of living here which are certainly many and go ahead and plug in so that when you do reach retirement age, you'll have those benefits available to you. Interesting question for sure. And uh, I did not really have to make that decision because uh, we were Mennonite. My parents were, so we had not 
opted out. So we were already in that system. My dad did pay income tax like everybody else. So we were already in that system. So I didn't have to make the decision to try to get back in. I wasn't that Amish, I guess, growing up. Great question. Jeff says, I've loved the last few years of my life in pursuing my passion of food writing. It's opened some wonderful doors, but none that really make much money. The joy I feel when I meet with the restaurant owner or chef is off the charts. My question is, do I continue to pursue this as a potential career or keep it as a hobby for the moment? I have a job which allows me the flexibility, but I don't love it. I feel a little burned out trying to make this work as a viable income stream. With a job and a young family, I find my time squeezed and not being able to do all the things that I had hoped. I'd love your insight. What lights me up right now isn't paying the bills. Thanks for your service to us. Well, Jeff, I I know you've been real involved in 48days.net and sharing some of your food reviews. You were blogging about that consistently for a while. And then I, I think some things happened in your family that required more time. And I understand that. But yeah, I'm one for pursuing your passion in that way. I think you're so close. I think getting the response that you have and being asked by restaurants to review, I think there's so many doors that it were open for you that you need to just look for a more creative way to turn that into your primary financial support. Now, I don't say that with everything that people do that they enjoy. I mean, sometimes things are meant to be a hobby. We don't need to monetize everything. You can just enjoy it. But with this being such a focal point for you and for you having already tested the waters in so many ways, yeah, I think you're real close. You just have to figure out. I mean, it's like an artist trying to figure out, well, I know most artists are starving, but how can I do this to make money? Yeah, I think there are ways to do that. And I have an artist friend right now who's doing a really creative online auction. Well, she's created, she's made about 12,000 bucks in her online auction. I think that's astounding to be able to do that in a way that reaches a market that she probably wouldn't have reached otherwise. So yeah, look for creative ways to do this. Now, yesterday I was working with one of the, one of the guys in our coaching mastery program which is a process that I absolutely love. It's helping people who want to be coaches position themselves. Now, this guy's been in corporate America, actually in a government position for 23 years. So he's highly respected in that, but is looking to transition out. But one of the things that he does, in addition to being a good candidate as a coach, he's an artist. And he said, well, I know I need to keep that separate. You know, that really has nothing to do with my coaching. You know, I need to just keep that separate and I don't think I'm going to try to make any money from that. It's just something I love to do. You know, maybe I'll do it and then once a year have an art show or something. And I said, you know, I think you ought to integrate that into what it is that makes you unique as a coach. I mean, think about it. What could you do in terms of a few exercises to help people tap into the right brain side of the brain to tap into things that have been dormant for a long time to help them see things in a new way you could do that by giving them some simple art exercises that would make you unique as a coach you're the guy that helps people explore those parts of their lives that have been sitting still or were pushed under the carpet years ago by using art to help un unpack that i mean i think that would be really good so i would encourage you to do that as well jeff in this look for ways to integrate your affinity for food great recipes and all that just be creative now you can post this on 48days.net i mean post it there you'll get input from a whole lot of people other than just dan miller but here's an idea i mean there was a question that was posted i think just yesterday by a young guy named aaron who said that he is doing yard mowing service and he posted up there what he 
was going to put out in a coupon for people to distribute this in a community. And what he put out was this local, friendly, personal, professional lawn mowing service with 25% off your first cut, limited time offer, 10% senior and military discount. Call Aaron, blah, 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 always 100% guaranteed. Well, I put out to him, I said, Aaron, I would encourage you to focus on why you're the best rather than starting right off with a discount. Trying to be the cheapest will lead you right to the bottom and out of business. If you put your question, Jeff, out to the 48days.net community about how you can monetize your passion for food, for recipes, for reviewing restaurants, you're going to get a ton of great input that'll help you develop that. And I think you're, again, too close to just back down on that. Incidentally, the the one I just mentioned here, the one I commented on, yeah, I, I would never encourage you to start off your business by telling people they're going to get a 25% discount. You haven't even told me what you're going to do. You haven't told me anything about the kind of work that you do, why it's going to be awesome, why I'm going to enjoy it. You haven't even told me your price. What does a 25% discount mean if I have no idea what your price is? It's a horrible place to start. Don't start by giving, don't start by trying to be cheap. Again, trying to be the cheapest is a way to go to the bottom of the barrel and out of business very quickly. Don't do that. Well, hey, this is a good place to just insert the fact that uh, you're listening to a lot of questions here. I am Dan Miller. This is the 48 Days Online Radio Show, where each week we take questions just like the ones we're listening to here, unpack them, try to figure out how we can all be more successful together. I'd love to uh, review your question for an upcoming radio show. You can go to 48days.com click on the podcast link you'll see an opportunity there to submit it or you can just shoot that question in to ask dan at 48days.com now this question comes well we'll call him sam he says dan you explained in a podcast months ago titled how working by the hour will keep you poor could you expound on that or at least give me the link i need to go back to that thanks for all you do since i am an hourly worker slowly transitioning out of the workplace i think this podcast will be relevant and helpful for me and others thanks in advance well sam that that did get a lot of attention the blog post was titled hourly pay will keep you poor now let me just kind of review that i'm not knocking hourly pay but i think if you look to that alone as your means of building wealth, you're going to be disappointed. You know how hourly pay typically goes. I mean, in challenging times, I see lots of people managing their money better. I mean, I'm thrilled to see that. I see people getting involved in Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. I mean, thousands of you have done that. But here's an important principle. Not only is it important to manage your money better, it's also important to realize that now is a great time to figure out how to make more money. And that's really been the crux of my relationship with the Dave Ramsey audience all these years is people are learning to manage better. But if somebody's making $32,000 a year and has a stay-at-home wife and four kids, I don't know how to make that work. I don't know how to be such a good manager. You can make that work. My key is going to be How can you make more money? And that's been the strength of my relationship with Dave Ramsey and his audience over the years is helping people see ways they can make more money. You know, wealth is never made by the hour. 
It's made with ideas and a clear plan of action. So let's say if you make $15 an hour, you're making, I just mentioned 32,000, you're making about $32,000 a year, $15 an hour, a cost of living increase of three to 4% is not going to significantly change your financial position. You know, you can do a great job and ask for a 10% raise a year, which would be really unusual. And in eight years, you'll double your income to $62,000. But that's eight years from now. And doubling your pay in an hourly position is really not going to happen unless you bring some new skills to the table. So a better question is, how can you make an extra $2,600 a month starting now? Now, that would be doubling your pay. If you're making $15 an hour, you're making about $2,600 a month. How could you make an extra $2,600 a month right now? to make that doubling of your income a reality this next year. Now, I talked about the fact we're already halfway through this year. What if you really got a plan together and you went into 2015 knowing that you were going to double your income because of something you're doing, an idea that you're putting legs on? What would that do to your debt snowball? But now here's some ideas to get your own thinking started. Now you could, we, we just talked about mowing grass. You could mow 10 yards weekly at $60 each. In mowing my yard, we've got two of them connected together. I think I'm paying $80 each per week for those. So you mow mine, that's going to be $160. But you do the multiples on that, whatever. You could spend $1,300 on old silver at garage and estate sales, clean it up, know the market, double your investment, selling it on eBay. I mean, you really can. I mean, if you, if you know the market on something and you just specialize in old baseball cards or leather goods, or silver, or electronic instruments, or cameras. I mean, you, if you know the market, you can then, I mean, if you've got, golly, the little eBay app at this point where you can just scan it on your phone and it'll tell you instantly what those things are selling for. And if you see something for $2 and it's selling for 15 as an average on eBay, yeah, you buy it, put it on there. I mean, you can go through that, do that very effectively. You could buy a fixer-upper in this still pretty wild real estate market, do the repairs and make the entire 31,001 carefully orchestrated transaction. Yes, trust me, there are people doing that and more. You could be the graffiti removal expert in your town. If you get 10 contracts for $260 monthly to keep a building graffiti free, and that, that's not unreasonable. I mean, depending on the parts of town, they get hit with graffiti pretty frequently. You get a contract to keep it free. So it may require five hours one month. It may require zero hours the next month. I mean, one time we lived out in the country. It's still very close to where we live now. But there was an under, under the railroad track, underpass, very narrow, one car only would go through there. You had to turn. You couldn't see coming in. It's really a treacherous kind of spot. But it was right on this road that led down to houses where lots of us lived. Well, it was a very prime location for graffiti artists because it was so visible. So they would hit this thing. Well, you'd go through there, you know, three miles an hour, and obviously their graffiti gets a lot of attention. So you'd have these graffiti artists, but there was also people who would write obscenities and so on in there. Well, we lived on that, and I was going to be driving through there multiple times a day with our kids and family members coming to see us and all that. So I thought, well, this is an easy kind of deal. I bought white paint. Now, the, the underpass was painted white anyway. So 
the graffiti was always done in orange or red or black or whatever, but white was the base color. So I bought a case of white spray cans. I bought multiple cases of them. I would have that in my car. So we'd have a graffiti artist who would spend, you know, four hours some night carefully having all of his message under there. I'd come through the next morning, boom, five minutes, I cover it over with my white paint. I cured those people of doing, I never saw anybody doing it. I never talked to anybody. I never talked to the city people or anything. I just, as a neighbor guy, just made it my goal to keep that clean and neat looking as we drove through there. And it took about three months for me to wean everybody from doing that. They would write on there. I'd come through the next morning. I'd jump out of my car, take a white can of spray paint. Boom, it's finished. All your fancy stuff, your obscenities and graffiti, whatever, gone. Well, anyway... (laughs) If you if you saw that a building was getting hit, yeah, you can be the graffiti removal guy in your town. Well, here's a couple other ideas. Set up to sell kettle corn at local fairs, festivals, fundraisers, and church events. I mean, book three events where you could reasonably expect to net at $850 each, and you've got the money we're talking about. I love those, incidentally. I see a lot of weekend events, and Kettle Corn always has a line of people, 60 people deep, waiting to give you $4 for a little tiny bag of popcorn. My goodness, talk about nice margins, profit margins there. That's it. Well, you could explore the list of 48 low-cost business ideas. If you're a member of 48days.net, you can go to the member exclusives and actually download that at no charge at all. You can look at that. 48 ideas in there, things you can do to make money. Now, nothing here that we've talked about requires another degree or waiting time, but making an idea work for you does require a break from a paycheck mentality. If you can do that, the sky is the limit and where your income can go. It's starting immediately. Now, please take that, you know, with however it fits you. I'm not knocking hourly pay. But I'm just telling you to be realistic about where that's going to take you financially. Probably not going to take you where your big dreams and goals are. You're going to have to break out of being paid hourly to really change your situation significantly financially. I'll put a link to that podcast and all the comments that are there already. I'll put a link to that in the radio show notes today. Why hourly pay will keep you poor. Well, here's a question from Wendy. Who says, Dan, thanks for all you do. I left a high-stress job as an executive eight months ago, took a less stressful job with fewer hours but great pay. I also started a business that is the simplelifedecor.com with the goal to eventually work entirely for myself. I'm miserable in my new job, though. The job sucks my energy dry, and I'm being micromanaged, which is difficult after having a lot of autonomy in my last job. My heart isn't in it, and I feel it's taken away from my business. My business is still new and not producing much of an income yet, though. My question is, if I should continue to stay at this job while working my business on the side, look for a new job with potentially less favorable hours in the interim, or go for my business full-time? Well, Wendy, thanks for your question. You've framed it pretty well. You've got a little business on the side. You'd like for that to be your full-time. You're in a job that is okay, but it's sucking the energy dry, you're being micromanaged, and so on. The question is, how soon can you have your own business up and running fully? So we start with that. So if you've done a great job with the Simple Life Decor, and I went there and looked, it's beautiful stuff. 
Now, it's not cheap, so you've got a specific market for that. And it's also things that, when you when we're talking about furniture, I mean, delivery costs, shipping costs are significant. So it, it's not, in some ways, it's not the greatest kind of business to have online because I would be hesitant to buy something and then be confronted with, you know, $300 shipping cost. And I'm sure you're not just going to absorb that yourself. So there's got to be some challenges there in that kind of business where you have such bulky, heavy pieces that you're selling and yet you're trying to do it online. But be that as it may, I mean, you got to be able to do projections on your business, see where you are now, see how it's trending. If you can have this business up in 90 days where it will be providing the income that you need, then certainly don't get another job. Stay with the job you have now. If you can see this business getting up and running to where you want it to be in 180 days, at six months, don't quit your job. It would be really ill-advised to get another job because in getting another job, there's going to be a learning curve. You know, they're putting a lot of trust and confidence in you. There's kind of an implied two to three year commitment there in doing that. So no, you don't want to do that. If you see that in this business, it's going to take two or three years to get it up and running full speed. See, there's two, there's two ways to go with the rest of my, my response here. If you see it's going to take two or three years to get it up and running, then theoretically, it would be okay to go ahead and get another job. There's no use tolerating a job that's sucking the life out of you for two or three years. Get another job that you know is going to work as just the vehicle to help you continue to build your business. But the bottom line is, if you see it's going to take two to three years for this business to get up to where it's duplicating your current income, I think you got the wrong business. And in that regard, I would say, look for another opportunity. There's nothing wrong with having gotten something up and then deciding this isn't working in the way that I wanted to. You learn from that experience. You know way more about online business right now than 98% of the people walking around on the face of the earth. So you can use that. That's not lost time, no lost effort. You take that with you, but there might be something that would be more effective in getting you to where you want to be more quickly. Well, a couple others here. Trey says, Dan, I recently moved to Nashville. I'm considering starting a business to help businesses find and implement efficiencies in their operations. I've done this countless times. A couple of quick examples of what I've implemented are analyzed interest earnings and implemented changes resulting in increased annual interest earnings of $240,000, a 3,000% increase. Identified and employed a system to reduce monthly filing processing time by 24 working days per year. Uh, through the 48 days process, I discovered that I'm excellent at analysis, problem solving, and systemizing, systematizing no matter what role I'm in. My questions, do you think this business is something companies would pay for? Would it be better to charge a flat rate or use a contingency model? What would be the best way to begging, to begging, be, to begin testing this business idea and find my first clients? Well, Trey, yeah, I, I think you're going to have a hard time charging a flat rate for that. What you're describing are elusive, intangible, hoped for kind of results. You could use what Jay Abraham calls risk reversal. That means there's no downside at all, but that means you benchmark where the people are now and you simply get a portion of the savings. I mean, we've seen a lot of companies come in where they're going to save on your energy bills. So your gas or water or electricity 
And what they do is benchmark what you're using now, and they simply take a percentage of the savings. So if it's a big company and they save you $10,000 a month and they get 20% of that, they're going to get $2,000 a month in compensation. That's the way the structure of this, yes, as a contingency model rather than a flat fee for sure. And you, even at that, you're going to have to do a really good job of selling this. Now, I know you, you, you present really well personally. I mean, you can do this, but your work is cut out for you. You're going to have to sell the model because it's one of those areas in business that is not as tangible. I certainly like where you're going with this, but um, it, it's like there's so many companies out there right now who are marketing and branding specialist. Well, what does that mean? I mean, there's so many variations in what that means. I mean, that may mean somebody's trying to sell you five billboards to have around your town, or maybe somebody that knows how to increase your Facebook followers by a quarter of a million people. I mean, those are, those all fall in that kind of elusive branding and marketing. Those are terms that really are, are hard to define right now. So be clear on defining the services you can provide. Do your research so you know what the potential benefits will be for a specific company. Don't go in just kind of with, here's a menu of things that might work. Go in specifically, say, I noticed that you do use this much or you are spending this much. So you have a specific solution for them and then structure it on a contingency model. Yeah, you can do that. This one comes from Eric and I'll end with this one. I'm charting a new path for my comfortable but in, but uninspiring career and I'd like to hear your thoughts on which is better. Should I focus on identifying and using my strengths or work on overcoming my weaknesses? Of course, any path has a mix of both, but I find myself worrying that if I don't become better at things I'm not very good at, like cold calling, networking, relationship building, I won't get to where I want to go. I'm not looking for an answer specific to my circumstance, just to hear about your experience from working with clients about which approach seems to work better for people. Well, it's a great question and certainly a common one. My tendency is to focus on your strengths. If you focus on your weaknesses, you'll get strong in your weaknesses. I mean, I could focus on doing financial analysis you know, from now to the rest of my life, and I'd be miserable doing it and do a, a poor job in doing it. I'm sure of that. I mean, there's a story that I tell sometimes, and I'll tell this real quickly, but not original with me. I've modified it over the years, but it's about all the animals in an anim, advanced animal kingdom. They got very excited about the new school that was being formed for all the animal children. So the first day of school, sure, the horse, the chicken, the duck, the cow, the pig, you know, sent off their offspring to this wonderful new school. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Duck had sent off little Donald Duck, expecting great things from him. He was already a really good swimmer. But after being in school for a couple of weeks, you know, they wanted him to learn to be well balanced. They wanted him to learn to run, to jump, to climb trees, to fly. Well, after a couple of weeks of pushing in those other areas, Donald Duck's little web feet were so sore from climbing trees that he couldn't swim very well anymore. Well, that happens a lot. Now, we could go all into the academic system on that, but that happens a lot in individuals where I see them identifying their weaknesses, and then they spend their time trying to get better at their weaknesses, and all they end up doing is being mediocre at their weaknesses and never really use the two or three areas where they're great. So here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you this as a formula. Work where you're strongest 80% of the time. Work where you're learning 15% of the time. 
work where you are weak 5% of the time. Now, let me give you that again, because that's going to be a formula that can transform your success. Work where you're strongest 80% of the time, work where you're learning 15% of the time, and work where you're weak 5% of the time. I mean, I tell people a lot, there are 20 to 25 areas to be covered in my business. I probably do a pretty good job at two or three of those. But with the remainder, I allow people who are much more competent than I to perform with excellence in those areas. That's the way that I do it. I think you can do the same. Remember our quotation for today? The world steps aside for the man who knows where he is going. James Allen. Hey, you want to be one of those people who know where you're going? You're using the right principles. You're eliminating the things that are not essential in your life so you can focus on what it is you do with extraordinary excellence. Hey, thanks for being part of this community. Thanks for being part of this amazing group of people who are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable.